You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. I'm your professor, David Kirk Philp, along with Dr. Esteban. Bravo, vamos. I guess. Sí, bro. Right, uh, <laughs> radio, bravo, vamos. Vamos. Brave New Radio. No, Nueva, bravo, Nueva Radio. I don't know. Oh, Brave New, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, well, Marconi of here. Yes, Dr. Marconi. Very good. Patterson, we're here with... Um, Dr. Michael Harrington, we're going to be talking all about intellectual property and the law. It's going to be one of the greatest uh, radio shows of your life. But before we get to that, a uh, couple things we need to talk about. Marconi, should we give thanks? Thanks. We always give thanks. So we want to give thanks to the folks at Van Nuyen, Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down, St. Vincent and Kiss, and Zach Brown. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to VB hyphencpa.com when you are ready. And we want to give our thanks to Christine. Boy. They, a wealth manager at the Forefront Group. Christine has helped many professionals at the University of William Patterson and all over the world manage their investments plan out for the retirement. When you're thinking of building to bridge your future, think about the Forefront Group and go to, what's her email address? Christine at Forefront.com. Okay, Christine at ForefrontGroup.com. No group, Forefront.com. Yeah, boy, there we go. It's not as fun as uh, the old email address, but it was Christine.Bay, but that doesn't exist, so there we go. Don't confuse the public. Very sad. And Managing Your Band's 7th edition, that should be out very, very soon. We're in July there, hoping, promising. Exactly, yeah, so there we go. We... We've never seen it, but uh, I'm sure it's going to look marvelous. Well, we do have a picture of the cover. We have a picture of the cover. And the cover features uh, Dr. Esteban Topless. It just—it's a fantastic cover. Unbelievable. And of it's course, got, the back cover is Professor Phil Bottomless. Yes, exactly. So it's going to sell sell like hotcakes, which is what yeah. they call me in college. They called me hotcakes, and you will see the hotcakes forward, right? So moving forward, yes, we have Dr. Michael Harrington. 
who is an intellectual property and copy, music copyright expert. And he's here with us today. And we're so happy to have you, Miguel Rintono. Miguel Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Gee. Michael, did you ever get embarrassed when they started calling you expert? Oh, always. It's just, I, I usually explain to people that's someone else's word for it. You know, I, I, I don't call myself one. I'm an expert in knowing if I'm hungry or thirsty. And that usually is where it ends in my expertise, you know? Right. <laughs> so I know you're involved continuously in various suits. What's the, uh, I would say, the most exciting suit that you're involved with now? Uh, some I can't talk about, <clears throat> unfortunately. Some, some well, you don't have to mention the names or anything, just a, what the concept is. Um, let's see, the concept sometimes is too many lyrics, you copy too big a chunk. Sometimes oh. it's the melody, it's various things like that. There's no, there's nothing that's uh, about to set a precedent, I don't think. You know, there's no parody case at the moment. There's no, well, actually there is, <laughs> but that we'll see what happens with that. But um, so just, just a bunch of things. I'm doing a lot of work for music libraries mm -hmm. and ad agencies um, because they want to make sure their music doesn't infringe. And a lot for publishers when they think, okay, we're releasing this, we want to, uh, what do you think? Is it too close to something or, you know, so what I call preemptive copyright analysis. I, I do a lot of that lately, and I have been for, for years, actually. Now, is there any, um, this question always comes up, is there any length that you can copy without infringing? No, there's no such rule. <clears throat> it just depends on how original the expression is, is the first thing to consider. <clears throat> and the second thing is how long, how substantive it is. Mm -hmm. If it was, um, oh, there's Jack White, quote, took a quote from Citizen Kane, <clears throat> and it was a song. He took, I think, 78 words, word for word for word for word, se se about 78 of them. And that's way too far. But if you took a few words, um, you know, ask me no questions and I'll tell you no lies. I was asked about how copyrightable that phrase is. Mm -hmm. um, and that one, <clears throat> it's, it's, not, it's not 70 words. How, ask me you know, questions. I'll tell you no lies. Is that eight words or so? A nine? Right. So that one, I think, is free to use. I think it's been around. I think it, it doesn't, it, as long as you express it differently musically. But that was one I got involved with recently that I found really interesting. Mm -hmm. there were, people were nervous, like, uh oh, we're using the same words exactly. Like, shouldn't right. we give credit? And I, I end up responding by saying, um, no, it's public domain. Mm -hmm. I had to go show them how. I, I, could, I could even play it for you, some examples of that where, I, I mean, it was fun to do just to see, oh, okay, yeah, that's not, an, it won't be an issue to mm -hmm. copy those words because others have done it. Mm -hmm. And I think it also didn't, it wasn't original enough expression. Right. Okay, so we were talking the other day with an attorney with, uh, Carl Guthrie, Esquire, about a bumper sticker that I saw that said, straight out of Pompton, meaning uh, Pompton Lakes and Pompton Plains here in New Jersey. Uh -huh. And it had the same, uh, must have been the same, same font and so on as the original straight out of Compton. Mm -hmm. And I saw it on a bumper sticker. And I was just wondering if that is infringement in the sense that Call brought up that he has seen straight out of Livingston. He's seen straight out of Newark. He's seen all the, all of them basically. Mm -hmm. And this one just goes more, you know, directly with the word Compton Pompton that it remember uh, that it uh, rhymes. The rhyming is important. Yeah, that would make it more of an issue than straight out of Newark. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this looks the same but it's, it doesn't say Compton, it says Pompton. Mm -hmm. So, and the Newark one says the same thing. It looks the same, but it says Newark on it. Mm -hmm. So what would di differentiate one being um, an infringement and one not? I think, well, I think right now, if it's just a bumper sticker, 
it's not going, I mean, it's, it's in the world of trademark, which is in the world of unfair competition. And one of the most important tenets of that is, will this confuse the consumer over the origin of goods or services? And a bumper sticker is not a movie and a bumper sticker is not an album. So it's, it's not going, you're not going to say, oh, I thought I bought the, uh, the DVD or the CD or, you know, I thought this is what I was purchasing. Um, so I don't think that there's going to be a problem. I think if they made a movie or an album and use the same artwork, that, then it gets more significant. Mm-hmm. But I mm-hmm. think otherwise, it's not going to cons- confuse anyone. It's, it, you, you could not use the defense of parody, I don't think, because I don't, I, I, well, it depends what you'd have to do more with it. But just with those three words, I don't think it would comment, criticize, or ridicule the original. I think a parody defense for that, say, straight out of, of Pompton person, I think, mm-hmm. I think a parody defense would be a little bit lame. I think it's just 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 having fun. It's three words and straight outer, you know, that's you're not gonna own that. You're gonna own it as part of straight out of Compton with that artwork, I mean with what it's associated with, what it titles, what it indicates, but just straight out of <laughs> Pompton, yeah, it's just kind of funny. You know, I think yeah. good for you. Yeah, Carl Carl mentioned that you can't copyright a title. So right off the bat, that that kind of moves it sort of away a little bit from the infringement concept. Oh yeah, well that's what I was saying, trademark and unfair competition. Yeah, you cannot copyright a title. Um, So yeah, that way it's not copyright infringement. Mm -hmm. any. It just can't be. So look at the other parts of it. Prior to, um, what's his face, using this, I can't remember the the group from from the West Coast. NWA. Yeah. NWA, um, did we hear straight at a something much? I don't think we heard A-O-U-T-T-A. I might have said it's straight out of Webster's Dictionary or it's straight out of uh, Beethoven, <laughs> but I don't think I would say it was straight out of Beethoven or whatever. So well, I, go ahead. Well, I think they could only own um, straight because outer has been around a while. It's just pronouncing outer like a Bostonian. Outer, right. You know? Yeah. And so spelling it that way. What's that? And spelling it that way too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, th- yeah, they may be the first, they're likely the first to say straight out of Compton. They might even be the first to say straight out of fill in the blank, what city or state. Yeah. Or straight out of your mind, or I don't know. Uh, they might be, but even so, they didn't trademark it for every use any human being could do. Mm-hmm. It's just it's it's to be associated with. Uh, it indicates their source of goods or services, which is movie and album. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, if I walk into a tattoo parlor and I tell the guy, you know, straight out of Pompton, I want that on my arm, and just draw it like like it is. I don't have a picture of it right now, but draw it like it is. Mm-hmm. So now would anything occur there because it's being put in and then after it's on your arm it could go to instagram a thousand times right right and it could go from instagram to your album cover or to your work you know what you're going to do um see so maybe there are subsequent uses of that would be a problem but if it's a tattoo then it's still it's again it's not going to be confusion just fandom it's like if someone has Boston Red Sox on their chest, it means they're a good person with good taste <laughs> in sports. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get that in. Um, you know, so, but it's not going to be a, an issue where it's suing over, even though it's artwork. See, there's that, there's that part of it. The visual art, it's protected. Copyright does protect, you know, visual art um, in various ways. You know, some, some is strong protection, some is not as much. Um, but still, then there also gets to the point of what's the use of suing an individual over a tattoo, unless that individual is Mike Tyson and he's in a movie. <laughs> you know, right. where his, his tattoo from his head got you. What was the, the Hangover or some some movie with the? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and that became that became an issue. I mean, Tyson would win on that because uh, whoever owns that artwork 
you know, whoever, whoever's the copyright owner of that tattoo's artwork, mm -hmm. once it's being used on an actor in a film, that's, that's infringement. If it's an original enough artwork, which I think it was considered mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. Even if the actor is playing himself, that, you know, Mike Tyson played himself in that film. Could he get away with the fact that he's, I'm playing me, I'm not really acting? No, as far as I know, he wasn't the one sued. I thought they put it on somebody, you know? If he, Maybe it was a different movie then, but yeah. It could be, I mean, it depends again. Yeah. Just because Mike Tyson has it on him, that might not mean he's the physical, the owner of the physical copyright. He owns a copy of it, the copy that's tattooed on him, <laughs> you know, right. um, but he may not be the copyright owner. And I don't, I don't know enough about that, but those are the things you have to consider is who owns the copyright. And right. how much, what were the damages too? That's a big thing. If it's an individual with it on his arm or leg or something, then um, I, I don't know what kind of, damages that is but like steve mentioned earlier what if it's then taking a photo and goes here there there and eventually gets used in places but then again could somebody argue back let's say the uh the artist said that mike tyson tattoo was meant for mike tyson and now he's in a movie and everybody sees it and i'm not getting compensated for that um, could somebody go back and say, yes, but you knew that you were doing a tattoo on a public figure. And as a public figure, he's, he's out there, he's famous, social media is out there. You didn't enter this in a bubble, in, in a vacuum. You should have maybe known better. Um, could that be any sort of... No, I, I'd be with the copyright owner on that one because that's a new use and a new significant use. It's like if I work in a, a lot of times with people who put music in movies and television and say, especially in a movie where you then will have a trailer about the film. Well, just because you gave permission to the, for the song and recording to be used in a movie, that does not grant you another permission, which is another whole right. It's, it's actually sometimes worth more money is if the recording is in the trailer. So that's another use of it. Like when the guy did the tattoo on Mike Tyson, sure, he knew the guy was going to be in public. But if that becomes an important part of a movie, that his artwork is now being used in another place and he needs to be compensated for it. Uh -huh, uh -huh. That's a great analogy. That, that really makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Good. yeah. Okay, I want to get to um, beats and copyright of beats. Uh-huh. hearing a lot of people saying, um, well, I made that and it's okay, I own it. And they didn't do anything in terms of filing the copyright because they said, what was I gonna file? I was always gonna file this beats, the drum, whatever. Mm -hmm. So have you come across these uh, issues with beats? Yes, like, some people getting upset about <laughs> what becomes of a beat. So a beat, First, it's copyrighted from the moment of creation. It just needs two things. It needs to be original, which let's assume this one is. You know, we haven't played it or talked about a specific, but so it's original from that person. And second is it has to be fixed in a tangible medium. So that means MP3, MP4, or some fashion. So it's already protected by copyright. What you should do is if you're serious, you would register your work um, and then it's it just, it, it's more proof of ownership. Right. Um, so you, could, uh, you could sue someone, for example. Right. If they copied your work. But yeah, a beat, it's the funniest name. It took me a long time to get used to, why do you call this thing a beat? A beat to me is a, a quick 16th, like there's one, you know, but they mean beat like it's three minutes of backing music. Like, oh, that's what you mean? So even though it's a funny term, I'm used to it now, but um, sure, that, that could be, depending on how original it is, it could be subject to copyright protection, if not the whole thing, you know, parts of it. Like whenever you create a work, you know, it, you, not every part of it, every 100% of it is original. As a composite, 100%, yeah, from beginning to end, it is abs it's your work. But if, if someone takes a snippet out and said, just because, like Steve writes this song and, and in it, it says, just because. And I said, you know, that's just what I need to throw in here. I'm gonna copy from Steve Marconi. I'm not gonna pay him or ask permission. 
And can I do that? And the answer is, of course I can. Because even though it's copy, it's within your copyrighted work, Steve, it's just a little element that's um, no big deal. It's, you're not the first to say it. And I'm using so little, that would be, that would constitute fair use. Mm -hmm. back, back to beats. Yeah, you, you own it. And people will, and then I, some of the problems I see with beats <laughs> I get asked about is, well, I leased it, I didn't sell it to them. Okay, so that means if you lease it, in some contract, you've got to say, what is it that person can do with it? it you, I, would, I would think it usually means non-exclusive license. So, so okay, I, I, I say I made a beat and I lease it to Dave. That means Dave can do just a bunch of things with it. Maybe I should spell it out in the contract, but I still own it and I can still use it. But if I sold it to Dave and that's it for me, you know, it's on to the next work. It's like visual artists do this all the time. They, they make a painting or a sculpture and there goes the original. There's only one, unless they want to do prints. That's a different world. But the, the importance of the original is everything. And so in Beats, that sometimes happens <clears throat> where someone thinks they have the right to own it forever and maybe then sell, sell it when in fact the first person said, no, no, it's a lease. If you sell it again, you know, if you sell it one time, then wait, I need a piece of that sale. You can do those things with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And with so, the beats, I was going to say, with the, with the beats, it's interesting because um, somebody I work with um, licensed a beat from a website recently. He does not own the beat, but it's a, it's a non-exclusive. I think it's for either 10 or 15 years. Um, but he had the right to create a, a derivative new work. And it was all stated, there was a contract and it did talk about um, that the beat maker owned the master of the new derivative work. And then the beat maker owned 100% of the publishing and also 50% of the writer's side, which was interesting. So what this uh, person did was they actually did, a, they re-recorded the beat so that the uh, original beat maker did not own the master. So that was um, based upon the compulsory license because it had been released before um, now, here where it got a little weird was they made, when you buy this beat, they give you, I'm not buy, but lease it, you were able to make a derivative work. But does that carry over if I re-record the beat? Do I still have that license that I paid for to make a derivative work when I'm re-recording it? You, know, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, well, I think the original person still owns it. It's a composition. You re-recorded a composition. They, so, own, they own the publishing, right. But I'm talking about yeah. certainly the master. They don't own the master. No, they won't own the master, but right. they'll still own, you know, what's in this new work. Yes, they would still own whatever the original agreement was. Mm -hmm. In this case, the artist got out of this uh, beat maker owning the master recording by doing a re-record. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. the, re the original though, beat and then adding their new stuff. Yeah, I mean, it depends on how significant and original that composition that's been re-recorded is. Mm -hmm. yeah, notice I'm calling it a composition now, <laughs> even mm -hmm. though it's from, it's a sound recording, but within it, there's something ch changes. You know, it's not just a duh, one note, I'm assuming, I'm assuming something takes place. Right, so, yeah, there were lyrics added and, and a melody and, and all that, so. Uh, but, but still, yeah, and in this case, again, I'm strictly talking about the master recording, the, the underlying song, remains the same, that agreement remains the same, that the beat maker owns all of the publishing and owns 50% of the songwriter's side of that. But in terms of master recording, he lo no longer owns the master recording because it was a re-record of that beat. Right. Mm -hmm. that's, that's where I was going with that. Okay. Right. Now, does this, um, lower, the subject of beats, doesn't it, your colleagues, other music experts, that have only straight classical backgrounds and so on, are they able to be a quote unquote expert on determining this in a, in a court uh, that it is and it isn't? I mean, doesn't isn't it now a new ball game than just lyrics and you know melody, so on? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I, well, I think it's always been that way that there are other things added. And that, that's a good point about what are the credentials of the expert? Because they're mostly, most of us are coming from 
a music school and having a bachelor, master's, doctoral degree, hopefully, um, that means you did study an awful lot of Western European music theory and musicology. Um, so in that, with that bias comes, hey, melody is important, chords, uh, rhythms, things that can be transcribed and that, that have been historically able to analyze well. You know, you, like you can make, it's hard to analyze sound color. Oh, that's a three. <laughs> oh, that's a 7.1. Where we can do that perfectly with, with melody steps, uh, even some rhythmic figures, of course, chords, Western Europeans analyze chords better than anyone. You know, we like ask a jazz person, you know, right. uh, 13 sharp, 11 flat nine. You right. know, that's a wonderful description of a chord. That's like, you can't mistake what this thing is. Um, right. So yeah, there'll, there'll be some of the classical people in it. If you come from a straight classical background, you haven't worked in pop or understood it or analyzed it, you can come up with some just horrible um, conclusions and you can be proven to be pretty inept. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The Bee Gees, when they had their case years ago in Chicago, um, and the, the class, let's see, the, who was it now? The, the plaintiff's expert. I think they got someone who wrote program notes for the Chicago uh, Symphony Orchestra. Mm. And that person just said, well, like all popular music, it's boring. Or you're making statements like, like oh, no, don't do that. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of waiting for the day if I have, I won't say the person's name, but this person's written a music theory book and has this a couple sentences just completely dissing rap and saying it's nothing. He mm -hmm. says it's of no melodic interest whatsoever. It's purely rhythmic. And if that person's ever an expert witness, that person's going to just have a horrible go of it mm -hmm. because you got foolish right away. Right. The person just take back all the words. So you have to be, I think it pays, and this is one of my strengths is that, because I've analyzed, you know, maybe 80,000 pieces and I have them in two databases. So I can say country music is more likely to do this and hip hop's more likely to do this. Music from Jamaica is this, you know, you won't have a five, six chord in Jamaica. Oh yeah, you will, Bob Molly did a few times, or, you know. Um, so it, it, it behooves the person hiring an expert to make sure that they, they can talk about something other than, you know, piano uh, list and Schumann and Chopin yeah, and yeah. Um, 19th century piano music down cold. Right. That, that might not help you much in, in 2120. Right. So I would think Jay-Z's attorney has got to have a list of guys like you. So he's he, able to um, argue as an expert. I think so. I, I think if you get some inexperienced person thrown into the into what I do, um, it, it can be really tough. The other side can just just nail you. I've seen so many times where it's a one and done. Uh, yeah. A person wrote a report and it was just awful. And I had to, you know, kind of uh, critique it firmly. And um, the, the other side realized, whoops, we didn't know what we were doing when we did this. Mm -hmm. to hire this person. That happens plenty. That happens probably every day. Um, mm -hmm. Because, because you know, that old saying, where there's a hit, there's a writ. I mean, whenever there is a hit song or a hit movie or a hit anything, there, there are people saying, that's my song. That's, I, mm -hmm. I pitched that for the, for the film Spielberg did. <laughs> Just, you know, that, uh, I, I've gotten two calls already this what week, what day we're on Friday. Um, I've gotten two calls this week about, um, what's her name? Um, Rodrigo, is that her uh -huh. name? Yeah. Olivia, Olivia Rodrigo. Olivia. Yeah. Two different songs. Is people like, oh, okay. Then I start seeing like, and one of my students brought this up um, Wednesday about something about, you know, we we're talking about sales and streaming. And she brought up Olivia Rodrigo, and I said, I guess whenever my students speak, I pay close attention. As I, go, I don't know who's that. And I go right. along like, oh, I'm the only one who doesn't know who she is. So, mm -hmm. but there are two interesting things that that I know of taking place this week, and um, I think New York Times podcast is about her too. I just saw that today. I haven't heard it yet, but mm -hmm. so just to get to my point of like, well, you bet, you better also know her music. And what is she like? Right. Um, whenever, especially in the earlier days, when I'd get involved in 
in, in, living in Nashville, plenty of country music acts and someone suing a country act. Well, I wanted to know exactly, uh, my practice was go get all their CDs, transcribe them all. So I, I know Brooks and Dunn from a music theory point of view better than they know themselves. You know? And Hank Williams transcribe every note he ever did and, and so forth. So you, you really need, the expert needs to know what is that style like? And what was copied and what was copied, was it original or not? That's, that's a big, that, well, that's the most important mm -hmm. information. Like, as I said earlier with you, Steve, like whatever those two words were, if I took two of Steve's words, I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah, I always preach that in class, uh, that it must be original. You know, that we talk about what's infringement and so on. And then I say, now what's the third thing I'm telling you? Remember, it has to be original. And you can't tell me that this was not, this is original. I can't even remember what we were talking about. Mm -hmm. um, Carl brought up the idea that there is now going to be a small claims court for um, infringement. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, I can. It's called the CASE Act. It's an acronym. Um, and it would be decisions would, would go to three judges who have some expertise and they would, they would make, they would render the decision, but both now, sides. They won't to, be real. They won't be judges. They'll be people like you, the three, the panel of three. No, no, I think they're judges. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I, I spoke to the general counsel of the United States Copyright Office. I know her pretty well. And she's had me do some things at the Copyright Office and I wanted to know about it. And I said, uh, uh, you know, I heard it was $30,000 was the maximum damage. And yes. I, said, I said, could I work in as an expert witness? And she said, no. I said, oh, really? I mean, it's a really stripped down thing. Um, yeah, and you don't need to be represented by an attorney. Right. Either. Right. Mm -hmm. oh. it, it could be, we'll see how it works. I, I'm always afraid of those trolls who want to sue everybody all the time. Um, I got something recently, last week or so. Um, it was just, it's, it's an absurd law firm. Uh, where are they? They all went to some law school in Utah and, and they're just known as trolls. Whenever you enter the term, you see troll, troll, troll. And even articles like, have you been sued by, I forget the name of the thing now, but it's a foolish, foolish case. Uh, it, it got a lot of buzz. It was on digital music news last, I think last week or so. And Hollywood Reporter Esquire, which is the best source to read about this stuff, Hollywood Reporter, Esquire, they're wonderful. They didn't cover it. So I think they know like, oh, to hell with it, it's a troll. And I looked at the complaint, I could dig it up for you. Um, and <laughs> they kind of put the expert witnesses report in there was the bulk of the, the lawsuit. And I showed it to my students just to laugh. I said, look how bad this is. I said, when you, if you ever got a lawsuit like this, um, like what are all the colors for? This guy had a, whoever their expert witness was, Oh, it was someone from, oh yeah, someone I had some affiliation with the University of Miami. Mm. And it just, it just looked awful. I said, wow, like how did this get away? And then I look at what the lawyers wrote. Then I look at the lawyer's credentials. So how come I hadn't heard of this firm? I looked through it. So uh, it's copyright trolls going after someone. I, I can't remember any of the names at the moment. I'm just so busy right. with all the things I'm doing right now. Right. So... Okay, let's just get back to the small claims. Mm -hmm. So I hear something on a mixtape or I hear something on a small whatever, a, a little playlist. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, that's what I wrote that. And I, you know, I put that in, in uh, I fixed it and I, and I um, registered it so and I know it's not somebody big yet. It wasn't Elton John or whomever. So now I'm going to go to, what's my next step? You'd have to, you know, I, I haven't read enough of what is that next step. Right. But I know this much that the other side has the right to say, I'm not participating in this. I want to make you spend money. <laughs> hey boy, uh, we're going to federal court and grown up court and it's going to cost you. Ah. So, you have to opt, both sides have to opt in from what I've read. So then you know it's going to be six figures at that point. Right. And I would say to myself, you know, I don't have the six figures and I don't think 
I'm not, I don't know. I just, yeah. it's as simple as that. I, I, I don't know. Well, you can still get a lawyer to do it. And, and, and cases can, can kind of take place quickly, like in an afternoon. <laughs> mm -hmm. If you've got something convincing that's so good, um, and it, you could, I've, I've had worked for plaintiffs where this is so, so solid a case. Everything is here. We got it. And I agree. And then the lawyer, you know, I could write something or they could say it's me involved and some people would know who I am and that would help, I suppose. So um, things could end quickly. They can, they've ended in a day, more likely a week or a month or a few months. And once you start to see it's going to cost you. And plaintiffs have a harder time winning. They just do, despite blurred lines. That's stupidity. Um, but it's harder to do. It costs a lot. And if you lose, you're very likely going to have to pay everyone's cost. Mm -hmm. You know, the attorney's fees, court like, Oh, my God, that's, that's a great reason not to do it. Right. Now, on the average, about what percentage of the cases you work on actually go to trial? Under 1%. Under 1, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Still that low. Oh, it's that low. Yeah. It's yeah. very, I, I've been in some that settled the day before. One time I was hopping a plane to go to New York and they, I just got on the plane and they called me, get off the plane. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it settled then. Yeah. Uh, but because you, you usually don't, you don't want to go. You just don't like the blurred lines case is the classic example of the worst. <laughs> you know, you want to know what's the worst thing ever? Here it is, and here's what went wrong. You know, mm -hmm. um, so so no one that silly thing you'd hear on TV shows. I want my day in court. This what, that's just such stupid talk. Mm -hmm. you know, that's mm -hmm. <laughs> now if it's going to cost you, like you're going to sell your houses and be homeless from it. You know, right? Sure. Uh Dave, you have anything on your mind? Yeah. Um, John Siebert wrote a book four or five years ago called The Song Machine. And in that book, he's had a whole section devoted to Max Martin, which then led into Dr. Luke. And they had a concept when it came to songwriting. And the concept was called Close But No Cigar when it came to copyright infringement. Because these guys apparently were sued many times Mm -hmm. And most were probably settled out of court. But um, the, the concept being, you put something in this song that sounds like a previous song and the brain will automatically want to listen to it because the brain follows the, its comfort level. And yep. if it's most comfortable with something that might be a couple chords, it sounds somewhat reminiscent of whatever. Um, mm -hmm. They will purposely or somehow get that into the song. And they usually and they usually won every case, or they were all dismissed because of this term "close but no cigar." Can you explain it a little bit more than me, or explain it more than I, Marconi? Is it me or I? It's I. I. Yes, thank you. Um, explain a little bit better better than I can, and um, <laughs> kind of go in into that that defense and that sort of song creation concept there. Sure, I'll try. I mean, I think that's the gist of what advertising is about. It's a come close because no one, no one wants to see an ad or hear an ad. So when the ad is coming, say it's television, let's use television because they still exist. Um, you're about to leave the room and then suddenly, whoa, what's that? <clears throat> Sounds like Alicia Keys. And so, oh, I'm not leaving because I like Alicia Keys. And then, oh, wait, is that her? Well, I don't know, but now I'm paying attention to the, the perfume <laughs> or something, you know, um, or it's the looks of someone. There's a, there was an ad years ago uh, where the guy looked like James Taylor, and it's not. <laughs> but at first it made me, huh? He's doing an ad for a bank? Oh, no, he's not. <laughs> but, you know, so, so there's got to be a way either by the look of a person, and this, this is what's called right of publicity, and it's under the world of unfair competition. So uh, you have the right to your image and likeness, and that that means your looks, uh, that means your hair color. It, who's that 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 very heavy French chef with the beard? Uh, you know the guy had the white white chef and a big guy with a beard. Paul Prudhomme was it? Yeah, he died from from New Orleans. Right from New Orleans, and right. there was an ad where they had a guy look just like him, and so like whoa. I'm a fan, I'm gonna watch this. Oh, it's not him, but now I'm hooked into the commercial. 
and he sued over it, right? His right of publicity was violated. So he, <laughs> you know, but, but they were clever, clever and not clever, because uh, if you get sued over it, then maybe you're not clever. Um, but so it could be the, the image, uh, you know, the looks of someone, but musically it could be, oh, the song is really close. You know, it's got this certain guitar sound and you're doing something like it. Or it's got uh, arpeggiated piano. I, I was dealing with arpeggiated pianos a lot lately for this for a series of ads this, this company in Europe did. And I said, okay, I get it. You know, and I'm looking at it from the point of view like, well, these are way different arpeggios than was in the original song. So I'm looking at how different it is technically. So it's the style of a piano playing and then a woman singing. So, oh, okay. So I can see where it might hook you in to think it's this person, but it's not. So that's the, what was the line again, Dave? They said is close, what was it? Close but no cigar. Yeah, close but no cigar. So this has been going on for ages. And it's also, um, I know some people who have had a lot of success putting songs into advertising and movies and, and uh, they're interested in like, well, some of these should be hits. So I've heard some of the things they're doing. They, why not right. imitate someone? Why not? Like, if you want to hit, you got to sound like someone from 2021 and not, you know, 2010. So um, if, if it's a hit, you might want to write in that style or be that style comes to mind. Like, you're never going to see Snoop with a banjo, fiddle, and, and steel guitar. You just ne it's never going to happen. But you could, you could be like Snoop in certain ways. There's a commercial now for some... Oh, extended warranty people for your car. And it shows um, iced tea. And they get they got to remind you, oh, it's hip hop. So this is fake <laughs> iced tea-ish hip hop they quickly play in the background. Mm. So it's not close. It's close enough to make you think, oh, that's, oh, no, it isn't, you know. Um, yeah. So this is a, a, a thing that's been going on for ages. Um, so th I'm glad this guy wrote about it, but that's nothing new. That that is the world of advertising, um, and it's it's the also in in movies. Sometimes you want there's a love scene, and then you know the the the, the couple are getting distanced, and there's some something sad going on. Okay, which sad do you want? Do you want Taylor Swift sad? Um, do you want Frank Sinatra sad? What kind of sad? <laughs> so you imitate because you, the reason they do this is because the Frank Sinatra copyright is worth a lot and the sound recording is worth a lot. So they can't afford it, let's get something like it. So this has been an old practice, um, mm -hmm. something I've worked in for, for a long time and, and I enjoy it. I just think it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's, it's how close can you come? Yeah. I don't think it's, it's dishonorable at all. It's just practical. Like I want it to sound like Motown. Well, then sound like Motown, play. Mm -hmm. You create something. If it's too close, then change it. <laughs> we said earlier that. But, but how close is too close, do you think? Case by case basis. Uh -huh. mm. now, I think what my experience with this over the years has been whatever almost infringes happens immediately because they don't want you to get away. They want to hook you in immediately because we all know it's a commercial because everything changes. The dialogue's gone, the whatever, it's all gone. So they, they better hook you in immediately. You don't say, let me see here about 10 seconds and see if I like this commercial. Like, no, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta be interested right away. So if that, let's, let's say in air quotes, the infringing part um, takes place, I think immediately. And, and then how close is it? That's, that's where I come in. And like what I would do if I was working for someone like that, uh, I would, they would say yes or no, can we go with this? And if I say no, then they usually don't want to know anything more. They, they won't. <laughs> and if I say yes, go with it, they'll still want to hear sonic acoustic reasons. Can I play this recording like, oh, it's like this. Oh, it's like the Pixies. Oh, it's like Prince. Oh, it's like Stevie Wonder, but not. Like I'd have to give examples that support why I'm saying you could use it. It, it's a really fun, it's a big world because think of all the places music's used now compared to 20 years ago. Like how many apps and games and Peloton or, you know, whatever. Just there's so many places music is now. Uh, on that 
same line, there's a um, Netflix series that I'm hooked on called Call My Agent. Oh. And it's in, it's, it's, it's in French with subtitles. And there's four seasons and the entire song, song soundtrack is the melody of one popular song. I can't think of it now. Wow. So they continue if they go into a, a bad scene, mm-hmm. then it's played in a different way. Then they go into a happy scene. They go into all these different scenes and all these genres of this tune and part of this tune comes wow. up. It's, it's fascinating if you're a musician to understand that the, that's all they've used. Someone's four seasons, 55 minutes each. That's, that's okay. It's a great series too called Call My Agent. It's I, called I, Agency. I will definitely like watch that on Netflix, one. But, you, but that's something that I noticed. Yeah. As a musician. Well, it's it's like what NC, NCIS did with The Who. Having, yeah. You know, the opening at least. But you're yeah. talking something more substantive. No, throughout the entire 50 minutes of every episode. Well, my thoughts are whoever owns that copyright is thrilled and it certainly didn't have to work ever again in life. Right. And, um, the, the musical arranger would remind me of uh, someone as good as Frank Duvall, this guy mm-hmm. who wrote a lot of stuff in the 60s and 70s and all kinds of TV shows from and Andy Griffith to all kinds of stuff. He was doing, it, those shows had constant music and constant yeah. reworking of a theme. Yeah. yeah. I'll have to check yeah. that. Yeah, do it's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, if Frank Duvall. It's interesting that you bring him up just because if you watch I Love Lucy or any of those, at the very end of the credits, there it always said music by Duvall. Yeah, I was a kid watching the reruns and like, what is Duvall? I didn't know what that was until right now. I just learned that it was a guy named Frank Duvall. Obviously, I never cared enough to Google it, but. Right. Oh, here, Dave, here's what you got to do. And Steve, you might know this. I don't know if you do. Um, there was a spinoff from Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, the Norman Lear show. Yeah. And it was called Fernwood Tonight. Yeah. And then there was a second season called America Tonight. And it was a, supposed to be a wicked, wicked low budget, uh, small town version of Johnny Carson. And you had this guy, Martin Mull, who was sleazy, though. He was the lead, the Johnny Carson guy. And the Ed McMahon was played by Fred Willard. And he was genius. <laughs> but all the music was Happy Kind and his orchestra. And that was, it was Frank Duvall in real life. Ah. The guy's sense of humor is just off the charts. This dry, uh, he, was, he was as good as an, an actor as he was a musician. And they had a guitarist who looked like he, they kept saying how he just got out of prison. Is he, you know, does he have his leg irons on? You know, and he's got, he's got a cigarette hanging out of his mouth with ashes falling. And he's playing these licks like, holy God, who is this guy? He's the, he's the best guitarist I'd ever heard. It ends up, it's Tommy Tedesco. Right. If you ever see this show, you'll be blown away by these musicians. It's this rinky-dink, horrendous set from in Fernwood, Ohio, a mythical town, with a fake Johnny Carson and a fake Ed McMahon, but Frank Duvall is the real conductor. I mean, there should be a show just on the creation of Fernwood tonight in its second season, America Tonight. Right. Interesting. Uh, Another question I have for you. Somebody brought this up to me recently and want your take on it. He had a song and he used a sample in the song. And he said, and I said, did you get permission? And he said, this was actually uh, not even a pop song that he was doing. It was this sort of, you know, whatever. Uh, What do you call it? Not alternative, but uh, I forget what they called it in like the 60s, but um, this instrumental thing. But he used a sample in it. And he's and I said, you get permission. He said, well, you can use like three or four seconds for free, right? <laughs> what is your answer to this? And is this a a wives' tale that you can use one, two, three seconds, and you don't have to tell anybody it's completely free? It's a complete wives' tale. It's it's completely fake and dishonest. Uh, it's kind of like saying, if you ever hear the phrase, you can't get pregnant if. Like, uh-oh, stop listening. <laughs> what you're about to hear next is really going to be stupid. Um, yeah, no, things like three, four seconds, uh, six notes, two measures, two lines of a poem, or whenever people come up with this stuff, it is not in the law. It's not in a, a legal decision anywhere. 
Um, it, it, these are, I call them copyright myths. And people saying like, and I've, I've been in cases involving this, <clears throat> the, the myth that you, can't, you cannot copyright a baseline. Of course you can. Dr. Dre used a baseline from uh, a group called Fatback Band. And he used the same baseline. He went to someone like me and listened to the baseline and the person, the expert witness said, yeah, you can use that. That's not copyrightable expression. And the notes are da 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 dum da 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 dum one two three two one two three five, and if you did just that and did it twice, I think that's no problem. But he did it about twenty times, and it's the basis for the entire Fatback. Uh, I mean, for most of the Fatback song and a hundred percent of Dre's song. So what do you mean you can't use a baseline? It was a one uh, one point five million dollar jury award, as I recall. Um, and another thing, say a chord progression. People say you can't copyright a chord progression. Of course you can, because a melody is copyrightable expression. Well, a chord progression is technically three melodies simultaneously, right? Because that's what a chord has, three different pitches, pitch classes. So if you copy a, a certain chord progression, you could be in huge trouble. The first four chords of the Beach Boys' Warmth of the Sun are absolutely beautiful and they're found nowhere else. They, they only existed right there when he wrote that. Uh, Stevie Wonder's got some chords like this. And, and move up to a recent case, Lana Del Rey being sued by Radiohead. Um, it was over, it's the chord progression is what's in, what's in, uh, what's, what, what both songs share. Just to put it in layman's terms, it's, it's a, a C chord, an E major chord, an F major chord, an F minor chord and back to C. So one major, three major, four major, four minor, back to one. That doesn't happen in many places. Mm -hmm. So Lana Del Rey, you play them and say, oh yeah, they do sound alike, right? Um, however, <laughs> Radiohead got sued for those same four chords by the Hollies, uh, from what I've been told. <clears throat> so the Hollies did their song, um, The Air That I Breathe. It begins one, three major, four major, four minor, one. However, I've dated it back uh, earlier to Ain't Nobody's Business, a Jimmy Witherspoon song from 1949. Mm -hmm. Also an Ink Spot song from 1941 or so. But somehow people don't know that. So the Hollies shouldn't have been suing. <laughs> you know, they're wrong to sue. And somehow I don't think there was an expert witness who could identify the earlier songs. You know, I wasn't right. around. Yeah, now, what right. happened with the uh, Coldplay and uh, Joe Satriani? Satriani? I, I, what I heard is it got settled. I, yeah. think, I think sometimes you settle just because even if you could find a precedent, like I could find the precedent for that melody easily. It's not yeah, that. But saying with Joe Satriani wasn't original, really. Right. That, yeah, exactly. Even, see, what happens, and here's one of the biggest problems with copyright, is that is that trademark <laughs> has bled its way into copyright. And, but mm. what I mean by that is that you hear this and it makes you think of this. Mm. The same way, you know, a Lexus um, might, you know, a Honda and an Acura, same company, they have the H parallel, the Acura, they take the H and make it like a steeple, you know, mm. point hint. It, it's because it reminds you of, that doesn't mean it's infringement. Um, so, yeah, I mean, because they sound alike, people think, oh, that's all it took. Or, or also what's happened to me twice this week is not only did I get contacted, the, plaint the potential plaintiff sent me mashups. Like, it's online, you can find it. And he sends me the link and uh. With a mashup, you can make anything sound like much closer to something else. Right, the same, right. you change the speed, you know, like that. So, um, yeah, that, that was, I think that was a foolish case, but it's sometimes it's just easier to settle. Like that's just, you know, the Tom Petty thing with, um, oh, who was it? The British guy. Sam Smith. Sam yeah. Smith. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was a more, that was a more significant one. That, that was not, that was, that now was. The, the uh, Ain't No Sunshine, uh, that, that's original. The, you know, you know, you know, you know, oh, yeah. you, know uh -huh. you know, you know, you know, you know. <laughs> I mean, I would see that it's copyrightable. I think so, yeah. Yeah. I've done this in lectures where I'd play it. I'd say, okay, if you want to say I know, 
19 times in a row, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I said, if you say it 19 times, I think you're infringing Bill Withers 26 times. But if you say it eight times, I don't think there's a problem. <laughs> so somewhere between eight and 19, stop it. No. <laughs> and then that gets back to what Dave was just saying. How much is and how much isn't? You know, like it said, if you do four or five notes, well, if it's the beginning of Layla, you, you're not going to tell me four notes are not going to get you in trouble. Uh, you know, period. I could find it, but <laughs> not, not, no, you're right, though. It, does, it comes down to how original it is. Yeah. You know, in Layla, now what makes Layla so cool? That opening is yeah. that sound more than the notes. The notes I are too, so too yeah. but they are. It's, uh, 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 you know. How many notes is it? Million times. Sure. Yeah. Yes, David. We need to wrap up. Ah. Because this has been great. And uh, notice, notice we didn't play any music. <laughs> which we would have actually gotten in trouble for because that would have been um, copyright infringement for us to play uh, non-licensed music in our podcast. I thought you might think that, but I would argue fair use, but that's okay. <laughs> We are not on Spotify because Universal Music took us down. So um, there we go. So, uh, but with that in mind, um, we want to thank you. This was, I believe, your third appearance. Yes. Is one oh, one more. You, I think, were our second guest ever. And then we had, it's good, you know, this is your fourth appearance. Because once you are a second guest, we had you fill in at the last second because somebody. Yes. Wasn't that the third one? Mike, we had you on when we were talking about, I uh, forget what it was, the FCC and FCC thing and um, okay. uh, open source. Not, it's, it's not, net neutrality. Net neutrality. Yeah. Yes. That's net, net neutrality. Right, yes. Dave. That was an interesting one. So, so yeah, I guess, right, uh, li listen back to our in previous interviews with Dr. Michael Harrington. And uh, we want to thank everybody for listening today. And, Doctor, thank you very much for being here with us. Very nice. And, and there, we were, there was, this was a two doctor broadcast for all of us. We also have Dr. Esteban Marconi and Marconi. And of course, my co host, the effervescent Professor David Phil. Effervescent, <laughs> ever present, and not a doctor. So thank you very much for all of you. And so at the end of every show, Dr. E. Michael Harrington, we do not say hello. Do you know what we say at the end of every show? I don't remember. Some symbol or something you did? What was it? it was uh, well, it's, it's a Spanish word for goodbye. And that word should be and would be and is. Adios! Adios! I'm tired of fighting with myself. I'm tired of living in this living hell. I'm tired of convincing myself I'm not tired. I'm so cold, someone has to fade these bones Too weak to stand on my own You need to get up, shut up, lose what you can't control So here's to you You're still a broken lamp on the bedroom floor When you had too much to think So here's you.